0: As I said, we will be reading in Acts chapter 2 today, and uh, today I have titled the message Peter's First Gospel Sermon. Uh, The reason that I I thought about this is because this is the first time that Peter is able to proclaim the complete gospel. Um, Before this time... um, Peter had been part of the gospel story. He had been seeing the gospel take place and take shape. But what did Paul say the gospel was? That Christ was crucified according to the scriptures. That Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, and rose again according to the scriptures. That is the gospel in a nutshell. And that is what Peter is going to proclaim today. As you know, last time we talked about the day of Pentecost, and we talked about the fact that um, the disciples were waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we talked about how it was about a week to ten days that they waited in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And our brother this morning in the breaking of bread talked about the importance of timing and how... Um, we often think in our economy of time that God is late, that God has forgotten us, that God doesn't know what he's doing um, but but we know that God is never early, he's never late he's always right on time and there's actually an old Southern gospel song that I really enjoy that has that theme that he's never been late, he's never been early, but he's always. Right on time, and so that is the case in this passage. And, um, so, and also, if you could just say extra silent prayers for me, for some reason, my throat has been not sore but had a tickle in it for the last few days. I have no other symptoms, but it's just annoying enough to kind of make it difficult to talk for long periods of time. So, just Pray that the Holy Spirit will override that today and allow me to speak the words that He has for me to speak. All right. Well, we're going to read the first four verses here. Um, And the first point that I have today is the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of prophecy. The Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of prophecy. If you look at the life of Jesus and the way things transpired, you know that everything that happened with Jesus was a fulfillment of prophecy. It's been said that in order for a man to fulfill all of the prophecies that Jesus did, it would be millions to one, the odds. And so when you investigate that, you realize how credible Jesus is as the one that he said he was, which is the Son of God. The one who, as we already discussed, transcended time, because he said, before Abraham was, I am. Even though he was, as the Pharisees pointed out, not yet 50, he still could talk about how Abraham rejoiced in his coming. And so, let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 14 18. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judah, and all ye who dwell in Jerusalem, be, the, be it known unto you, and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in those last days. Sayeth the Lord that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Okay, the first thing I want to point out is that it says Peter standing up with the eleven, not the ten. Uh, we talked about in the, in the first part of Acts how the selection of Mathis to fill the position of Judas Iscariot was made. And some people debate whether he was the God-ordained 12th Apostle or whether that was given to the Apostle Paul. I um, tend to believe, as I said then and I'll re- reiterate now, that Paul was given a special apostleship to the Gentiles. But that Mathis is clearly indicated here as part of the 12 because it says Peter standing up with the 11. He was included here without reservation, without explanation, without apology. So I just point that out as a way of seeing how God is consistent. And then Peter stands up and you notice something different about Peter from the Gospels because he speaks with a boldness. Remember when Jesus approached Peter for the first time. What did Peter say? He said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. You know, when we uh, meet people, our first inclination is to put our best foot forward. Because they don't know about us. They don't live with us. They don't know our shortcomings. They've never seen us get mad. They don't know our bad habits. But somehow... Peter instinctively knew that he couldn't hide anything from the Lord. Even in that first meeting. So he put it right out there. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Most of us would not, not greet each other that way, but Peter did because he sensed conviction just in the look of Jesus. And I think of that when I think of when, he, when Jesus looked at Peter after his third denial I'm sure there was sorrow in Jesus' eyes. And I'm sure it communicated silently to Peter, Hey, I told you this would happen. And yet, in a sense, he was probably also saying, I still care for you. And of course, we know that Jesus restored Peter and ultimately asked him three times after his resurrection, Do you love me? And the ultimate result of that is, If you love me, feed my sheep. And so that is what Peter is doing here. And then he says to everyone that's there, ye men of Judah and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. So he believes that he has authority behind his words, the authority of God. For these men are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it it is but the third hour of the day, I was reading that culturally the Jews would often not drink until after the third hour of the day because in the early part of the day they would go for they would have prayers, they would do business with God and they didn't want to have drink in them. They didn't want to have alcoholic drink in them when they were doing business with God. Once that business was concluded, they often felt that they could, but before that they wouldn't. So that's the significance of that it was only the third hour of the day. And then he says, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And I, I kind of wonder if Peter knew this. I mean, I'm sure he had heard it in the synagogue. Or if this in some way was part of the special filling of the spirit that he would recall these words from Joel. Because remember, in Acts chapter 4, it says, they knew that they were not learned men. And they marveled at the way that they spoke, and they knew that they had been with Jesus. But however the case is, Peter begins to quote from the book of Joel. And he talks about how in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now that is what has just occurred. The Holy Spirit has come down and become real to the people of God. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon a man in a specific time. The Holy Spirit came upon Saul briefly when he first became when he first was getting ready to become king and he prophesied. The Holy Spirit came upon David, and David knew the selective nature of the Holy Spirit, which is perhaps why he wrote in Psalm 51 or in other Psalms, "Take not your spirit from me." Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Because he knew that in God's economy at that time, he at least feared that it could be taken away. And so he knew that he didn't want that. And then he goes on and he says, Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Who does that remind you of? Your young men shall see visions. In Acts chapter 9, we will read about a young man who sees a vision that knocks him off his high horse and changes his life. And he does a 180 from being a zealous man who will persecute the way to being the one that says, God, when we were yet without strength, died for the ungodly. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that the Holy Spirit was <clears throat> the fulfillment of prophecy and also the... Um, the promise of Jesus as well because he said, I will send you my spirit (coughs) and he will be with you and shall be in you (coughs) and shall guide you into all truth. (coughs) Excuse me. So that is um, our foundational point today. All right. So if we could look at a cross-reference in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7, Titus 3, 4 to 7. If one of the gentlemen gets there and could read that for us, that would be great. So in this passage, we see Paul saying that the grace of God allows the goodness of God, the spirit of God in, in actuality, to be poured upon us and to change our lives and do things the way um, we are meant to do them. You know, in, in Titus chapter 2, it talks about denying ungodliness... And living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That was something that we were not, it was not possible for us to do apart from the very grace of God of which we now speak. And so I I thought that was an important passage for us to consider. In September 1938, a man who lived on Long Island was able one day to satisfy a lifelong ambition by purchasing for himself a very fine barometer. When the instrument arrived at home, he was extremely disappointed to find that the indicating needle appeared to be stuck, pointing to the sector marked hurricane. After shaking the barometer very vigorously several times, its new owner sat down and wrote a scorching letter to the owner, uh, knew, said and wrote a scourging letter to the store from which he had purchased the instrument. And on the following morning, on his way to the office in New York, he mailed the letter. That evening, he returned to Long Island to find not only the barometer missing, but his house also. The barometer's needle had been right. There was a hurricane. Yet how many Christians there are who seem to regard the clear fingers of prophecy and the word of God with like indifference and disdain. My friends, if you get nothing else out of my preaching, I hope you realize that Jesus is coming back. This is not something that we just talk about in a wishful way. You know, the Bible talks about hope and in our English language, we often talk about hope as something that we, that we don't know will happen, but we just wish it would happen or we, we have an expectation that hopefully, if everything goes right, it will happen. That it might occur. But when we talk about hope in the, in the, in the Christian life sense, we are talking about a hope that maketh not ashamed. A hope that is sure, a sure and certain hope. That the things that we talk about, the things that we anticipate, will in fact occur. And we look at the society in which we live and we see the truths of the epistles of Timothy coming true before our eyes. Men will be lovers of themselves. They will not endure sound doctrine. I had to unfriend somebody recently on Facebook who considers himself a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Why? because his posts consistently undermine the truth of that gospel. My friends, the gospel is not meant so that the sinner can take it and twist it to be grateful for it, to to be able to continue in his sin. The gospel is meant to change the sinner and to pull him away from his sin. The psalmist said, I was sinking and the Lord held me up. The psalmist said, the Lord placed my feet upon a rock. And because of that, I sing a new song. Without the rock of the Word of God, without the truth and unchangingness of that Word of God, we have nothing to live for in this life. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when He said something was true 2,000 years ago, it's still true today. And if you are a minister of the Gospel of Jesus Christ... Your job is to preach the truth, not to be popular. And even if you are not called to preach from the pulpit, you are still called to be a minister of Jesus Christ. You have a congregation wherever you go. Whatever your sphere of influence is, that's your congregation. The Bible says that Noah, while he was building the ark, that he preached righteousness. I don't know exactly what that meant, but it didn't necessarily mean that he was preaching sermons every day. But you can, you can certainly bet that he was telling them about the coming destruction of the world. That he was offering them a place on the ark. If they would just believe that God was going to do this, they could be saved. And yet it says that when the time came for them to go on the ark... It was only Noah and his sons and his sons' wives. Eight people saved alive out of that distress. Relatively speaking, it may be like that when Jesus finally comes back and makes everything right, that eight people, by perspective's sake, will be saved alive. But I'd rather be alone and be saved alive than be together and be cast into the lake of fire. It's not going to be a place where where there's parties. It's going to be a place of darkness, where there's gnashing of teeth. I don't even know if people in hell will be able to see each other. Because that might be too comforting. The only thing I do know is that Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. So if it was a metaphor, then he wouldn't have done that. And if it was a metaphor, he wouldn't have died on the cross, a sinless sacrifice so we didn't have to go there. Our second point (laughs) is prophecy fulfilled means we can trust Prophecy future. Because as Peter continues to talk about the book of Joel, he's going to go from what has happened to what will happen. And he says, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't it interesting that as he's talking about this awfulness, he's still talking about the mercy of God. Even the events of the tribulation that is to come will be opportunities for people to choose the mercy of God. The Bible seems to indicate that People will be saved during the tribulation. And so even in that, God will say, this is what I'm doing. Are you going to trust me? And uh, when he says in verse 20, the sun shall be turned to darkness. I just think about maybe he was reflecting on the fact that God had already done that once. For three hours. When his son was hanging on the cross. Because it says that there was darkness over the whole land. And so. And I, I just. I, I love this verse. This simple verse. And it shall come to pass. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's the simplest thing that we could do, and yet some, in some ways the hardest. Because it's not the words that you say. It's not because you walked in aisle when you were seven. It's not because your parents were Christians. It's not because you went to church every Sunday. It's because you had a time in your personal life where you called upon the Lord out of a true heart and said, Lord, as the publican did, where Jesus talked about, said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you go to God and say, look how good I am, God, please bless me. He can't bless you because you're not good. The Bible says no one is good but God alone. That's what God t- said to the, to the rich young ruler when he said, good teacher, how must I, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, why callest me good? No one is good but God alone. So he makes it very clear that we are not good. That apart from the righteousness of God, there is nothing in us. Paul said, in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Not some good things. Not one good thing. No good things. But Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. What an awesome truth and promise that is to us um, if we could look at 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10 2 Peter 3:10 fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Um, you know, it's very popular in evolutionary cycles, especially I think about 10 15 years ago, there's a lot of talk about how the world began with a big bang. And I, I'll never forget sitting in an institute for creation research. Conference, and I think it was Ken Ham who said, "I do believe in the Big Bang, and it's coming." We just read about it here. The Earth will melt; the elements will burn with fervent heat. Again, it's not metaphor here. It's not like you didn't say it will be like it melts. He said it will melt. This is will happen. This is a guaranteed. Take it to the bank, promise. D. L. Moody said this. He said, "God never made a promise that was too good to be true." You ever been watching TV? Maybe, and you see these ads come on, and they say, "For nineteen ninety-five, you can get this this product." And for whatever reason, you know, whatever you need it for. It will make your wildest dreams come true, is essentially what they're saying. And then they say, if you act now, you can get a second one absolutely free. Just pay, just pay shipping. And some of them are probably decent products, but some of them you have to wonder if they're too good to be true. Because if they were that good, why wouldn't they be just sold in stores instead of being on TV for 1995? If you call now. But you know what? With God, there is no promise that he made that's too good to be true. Because all of God's words, all of God's promises are yes and amen. So the fact that he fulfilled the promises that he made means that he will fulfilled the other promises. He promised the disciples that he would rise again the third day. He fulfilled that promise. He promised the disciples that he wouldn't leave them comfortless, but would... Send his spirit upon them and he fulfilled that promise. So when he says, I'm coming quickly, when he says, I'm coming again, when he says, I'll be with you until the end of the age, those promises are promises that we can believe and understand and take comfort in. So... So we've looked at the fact that the Holy Spirit was a fulfillment of prophecy. We looked at the fact that prophecy fulfilled means we can trust prophecy future. Now we look at Jesus' death and resurrection of the hope that we need. So now Peter's going to get to the nitty gritty. And this thing that the religious leaders thought they did to Jesus... By their own volition, because they need to exert their power over him. Peter's going to say, But wait a minute. Actually, God planned this, you were just the instruments. And he says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourself also know him being delivered by the determinate terminate counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden by it. You know, as a kid, I kind of always thought about the fact that Jesus, um, the stone was rolled away so that Jesus could walk out of the tomb and, and uh, you know, I always thought that that was an exciting part of the Easter programs at First Assembly, especially, versus Assembly of God always does a really good Easter program. And they would always have the resurrection be, of course, the the ultimate thing that happened. And it was always exciting to see the stone roll away and him walk out. I've come to realize and understand as I got older that Jesus could have walked through that stone And he probably did walk through that stone. And then the angel rolled away the stone and sat on it. Why? Not so that Jesus could get out. But so that the disciples and the women that came to the tomb could look in and say, He's not here. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen just as he said. And I think it's really interesting that Peter says here, death could not hold Jesus. My friends, if death could not hold Jesus, that means it's not going to hold our loved ones who have gone on before us. The resurrection is a reality. The Bible says that he's the firstborn from the dead. Why? Because the time is coming when the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now I don't, I don't know what, what order of events you believe for the end times. But I know that I know that I know. That that's going to happen. Because the Bible says that it's going to happen. Another old gospel song said this. God said it. And I believe it. And that settles it for me. That's what we have to rest on. My faith has found a resting place not in device or creed. I trust the ever living one. His wounds for me shall bleed. He bled for me. He died for me. He arose again for me and He lived for me. The Bible says that He's at the right hand of God the Father interceding for me. And when I sin and then get convicted of that sin and bring my sin before God and I repent of it and I Confess it to him. Jesus stands up and shows his hands and his feet and he says, Father, I've paid for Andrew's sin. Nothing more need to be done. There's nothing that can be added to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, if someone preached to you another gospel than the one that we have preached, which is Christ and him crucified, let him be accursed we must be very careful to preach the whole counsel of God the true gospel and nothing beside Romans 11:33 to 36 someone could find that and read it for us Romans eleven, thirty-three to thirty-six. Oh, the depth of the riches both of wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments, and His ways past finding out! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become His counselor? Or who has first given to Him and shall be repaid to Him? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To whom be glory forever. There's a level to which I don't understand anything I've read this morning. Because I don't understand from my human finite wisdom, how would it be that the Creator God would condescend to put on a human body? In John chapter 1, when it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The God of the universe dwelt among human beings. He had human brothers and sisters... And it must have been a grief of heart to him that as he's beginning his ministry, his brothers and sisters did not believe on him. Now we know that a couple of his brothers at least came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because we have epistles from them. James and Jude. And they're powerful epistles. So the, the, gene, the, life, the life-changing work of Jesus took place in their lives. But we don't know what that process was like. And it must have grieved Him had that happened. But He did everything from coming to this earth to dying to rising again the third day to now interceding for us. He did it all for us. Everything we have is in Him. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, you are hid with Christ in God. My friends, there is no safer place to be than hid with Christ in God. And when we try to tell God what to do or to think better of His plan, we are not understanding. We don't have the understanding to do that. We can't counsel God, He knows what He's doing. We talk about the awfulness of the cross, but we really only comprehend the the physical side of it. We don't know what it was like to be separated from the Father. We don't know the depth of anguish in the words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All we know is that God did that so that He could say to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what we do know for sure and for certain. When the caravans in the desert are in want of water, they are accustomed to send a camel with its rider some distance in advance. Then, after a time, follows another, and at a short interval, another. As soon as the first man finds water, almost before he stoops down to drink, he shouts aloud, Come. The next man, hearing the call, repeats it, Come. The nearest man again takes up the call. Come, until the surrounding desert echoes with the word come. This is the great invitation word of the gospel. Come, come, come. So my challenge to you is, have you come? Have you dealt with your sin at the foot of the cross? The ground is level there. None of us have any, any better claim to the cross than anyone else. I'm sure the people of the early church were shocked to see Saul of Tarsus come into their meetings. And many of them were afraid that he was just pretending until Barnabas came and offered Saul, who later changed his name to Paul, the right hand of fellowship, and said, this man is the real deal. You can trust him. And because the people trusted Barnabas, they came to know and love Saul, who became Paul. And Paul became a great church leader, who everyone revealed to the point, revered to the point where Paul said, some are saying they're of Paul, some are saying they're of Apollos. And then Paul would have to say, I'm glad I didn't baptize any but a few of you because it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. And so that is the power of the gospel. And Peter is essentially saying what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And when you did this to Jesus, when you crucified the Lord of life, you did so in the realm of the determinate foreknowledge of God. Nothing surprised God about that time. I'm sure when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the devil was rejoicing. But then, that Sunday morning, he noticed something strange occurred. Because he who was dead was dead no longer. And he put death under his feet and trampled it. And he nailed to his cross everything that was against us. And when he rose from the dead, he left it in his wake. And he said, it no longer needs to torment you. Because I have taken care of it. And God smiled down and and said and continues to say, This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. And so, my challenge to you today is have you trusted Him? Have you trusted the one who in eternity past decided to die for you? This call to the gospel is available. To me. Is available to the whole world, but sadly some will reject it. Sadly some will not be in the Beloved because they choose to reject Jesus. Jesus was there in the flesh among the religious leaders and many of them wanted to kill him. And you can tell their motive because after the resurrection of Lazarus, what did they say? They didn't say he is teaching evil things. They say he swayeth the nation away from us. Essentially, he's taking our popularity upon himself. And we want our popularity back. So not only do we have to kill him now, we also have to kill Lazarus. Imagine being raised from the dead and then hear that you have a, a death warrant on you. But that's the way they thought because they were thirsty for attention. And that's the power of the gospel that Jesus said, if, don't be dismayed if people hate you because they hated me before you. So I just hope that you embrace the truth of this passage the truth of this message, that the gospel as it went forth that day in its complete form, essentially for the first time, is just as true today as it was that day when Peter stood up and with boldness proclaimed it. So as you boldly proclaim the gospel to those you come in contact with, you can be assured of its truth. And remember, it's not about spouting a bunch of individual verses to people. There's nothing more powerful than hearing the power of a changed life. So next time you go to tell someone about Jesus, simply start by telling them what Jesus did for you. John Newton said, and I'll close with this, of two things I am assured. Number one is that I was a great sinner, or that I am a great sinner. And number two, that Christ is a great Savior. And we can walk in that same assurance. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for being here with us. Thank you for bearing me up today. Thank you for the truth of this scripture. Thank you that the gospel that Peter preached is just as true today. Lord, I just pray that you would go with us, that you would make your face shine upon us and give us peace as we are your ambassadors in the world this week. In Jesus' name, i <laughs>